In part one of episode 73, our capable and cordial crew ranted and raved, talked Torchwood, and bantered about Batman. Join us now as we pick up on part two of this prolonged podcast. That's right, chum. ESO is going live once again. dedicated to all things sci-fi fantasy and much much more sit back and relax and enjoy the show welcome back to the eso podcast now we have a special guest with us we have mr bill jordan and bill (laughs) is kind of our quasi expert on batman he is the golden age guru Kind of scary, isn't it? <laughs> we don't want to give him too much of an ego. He might uh, bust his head through the roof of the station here or something. <laughs> Welcome back, Bill. Well, thank you all for having me. It's always fun to be on the show with you guys. Oh, it's great. And I know Batman's, you know, a topic that you just love. So this is, yeah. uh, you know, a good mixture for everybody. Yeah, I've always enjoyed the character. I've I've collected a lot of uh, old Batman stuff. I've Talked about Batman, had a Batman website for a while related to the Golden Age Batman. So it is certainly one of my favorite uh, topics to talk about when you get into the comic book world. Now, now, has he always been your guy uh, or was it something that just happened over time? No, I think he always has. You know, I've always uh, loved Spider-Man as well. But, uh, you know, being a Golden Age fan more than anything, Batman was always my favorite from uh, that era. Uh, and I hate to admit this because a lot of people will start singing the old uh, 1960s theme song from the Batman TV show. But what got me into Batman uh, way back then was the TV show. I was a kid and watched it on TV and loved the character. And I think a lot of people got into the character that way. But uh, that got me interested in Batman. And, of course, from there I went backwards in time to the Golden Age part of it. What was awesome. yeah. That was actually pretty common for all of us, actually. Oh yeah, very much so. Because I used to like learn all about the Golden Age Batman through a lot of like the treasuries and you know the eighty-page specials where they reprinted and such. Right. And the, what was it? The the greatest Batman stories told and such. Right. That's right. They did a lot of those. Uh, uh, the greatest Batman stories ever told. The greatest uh, Joker stories ever told. Uh, the greatest team-up stories ever told. That had a lot of the good Batman and Superman stories in them uh, a lot of, a lot of good stuff like that i think it probably turned on a lot of us to those older stories that weren't really reprinted a whole lot uh until uh you know the the late 60s into the 70s and so on and so forth exactly and you know that's the era i grew up in so i remember going to the bookstores and actually just sitting there and reading them the whole time you know while my parents shopped and stuff 
it was you know it was fun to see and you know it was always like a cool thing oh that batman's different or look at him fighting aliens or fighting you know on a giant typewriter or <laughs> you know stuff like that it was always you know great and then going back and seeing you know how dark it was and what was it i think the first story golden age batman story i read was one of the stories with hugo strange and he had these giant monsters that he created Right, yeah. that's right. And, you know, Batman killed, had to use the bat plane to hang him or something. To... Yeah, hung him, shot him with machine guns. He, uh, he, he was pretty brutal back then. Because you wouldn't even think about seeing Batman, you know, nowadays you wouldn't see him firing a gun or anything like that. But I remember in the Golden Age. Yeah, one of the, one of the, classic, uh, one of the classic splash panels uh, is in Detective Comics number 35. Uh, it's a 1939 issue, I believe. But uh, you open up that uh, that book, and uh, the splash panel has Batman with a couple of 45 automatics in his hand, you know, uh, shooting away uh, something you just don't see anymore. Did, you, did that change when Robin was introduced, or before? Uh, a lot of it. A lot of it changed. A lot of things changed completely when Robin was introduced. I think uh, Batman certainly became a, a much uh, different character with the introduction of Robin, but. No, I think they were gravitating in that direction maybe a little bit before then, but, but certainly the Batman who always had a big smile on his face and uh, kidded around with Robin and everybody else, certainly that uh, I think that, that's probably a watershed moment in the history of the character. Well, exactly. You see it on the cover of the Detective Comics when they introduce Robin. He's there smiling on the cover, and Robin's jumping out of the, uh, through the little like the hoop or something. Right, yeah, that was uh, Detective Thirty Eight uh, from uh, nineteen. I believe that was uh, nineteen forty. Right before, really, right before uh, Batman Number One came out, uh, they introduced Robin, and uh, uh, really, really changed. Not only did it change Batman, but it it changed really comics generally. You know, a lot of the the, the sidekicks followed Robin. Robin was the first Golden Age sidekick that was introduced, and uh, after Robin was so popular. You saw a lot of uh, other sidekicks introduced into the superhero comics. Let's step back just a little bit, and 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 where, where do you know um, exactly like where Batman the idea came from? Well, depends on who you ask. Uh, <laughs> if you ask, uh, if you ask uh, Bob Kane, of course uh, he's no longer with us. But uh, back uh, back in the day, of course, when Bob Kane did his deal with uh, DC. Uh, he was uh, known as the sole creator of the character, even though we all know now that Bill Finger was certainly very heavily involved in the creation of the Batman character, as was Jerry Robinson, who drew many of the uh, early Batman adventures in Detective and in Batman. But um, I think that, that uh, uh, Finger, probably more than Kane, came up with the, uh, uh, a lot of the ideas, a lot of the, the things that we saw uh, that became the the staples of Batman and Robin, but you know, Kane claims that he had the idea. He saw uh, uh, saw the uh, the serial, uh, the bat, uh, uh, Leonardo da Vinci flying machine, all those things. If you read, uh, you know, some of the later stuff, uh, particularly his autobiography, Batman and Me, he talks about that. It, one interesting thing that a lot of people. Uh, probably have never read is um the story that, that came out in real fact comics number five i don't remember what year that was it was in the 1940s but there's a whole story in there which is total fiction uh not not accurate at all where kane basically uh describes in uh, comic book form the creation of the batman down to uh 
he, he had the idea. His mother sewed the first Batman costume that they put on a model for him to draw and all this sort of thing. It was total, total bunk, but, uh, you know, <laughs> that's, that's how they, uh, that's how they described it back then. But I think now it's, it's very well known that Bill Finger probably had more to do with, with the development of the character than Bob Kane did. Oh, cool. So, you know, so he was introduced, and and how how quickly did did Batman catch on? Was it an instant thing where all of a sudden they realized, oh wow, this is a a big seller, or was it something that that happened? It took about you know some months. I I think it was pretty quick. I think uh, Batman number one came around about a year after the uh, first appearance in Detective Comics number twenty seven. So the the character was popular enough in that first year that not only did, did he take over the covers of Detective Comics, but he got his own title very quickly, just like Superman did. So along with Superman, I think it's very clear that uh, Batman was uh, most popular, uh, uh, the most popular of the DC superheroes. And I think Robin had a lot to do with that, too. I think Robin really, uh, I don't know if you can hear that in the background, that's Ace the Bat-Hound. Right <laughs> uh, but anyway, I think uh, Robin had a lot to do with that, too. I think the kids that were reading comics and back then young kids were reading comics uh, more than they do now. Uh, I think they really got excited about this new kid character that was in there. And I think that had a lot to do with it. But, uh, yeah, he, he was really popular, uh, really fast. And uh, uh, I think he caught on uh, caught on pretty quickly. Um, if you want to talk a little bit about the origin of the character, I can uh, I can kind of do a little bit about that. I've done a little bit of writing about it and podcasting about it in the past. If sure. you want me to go into yep, that a little yep. bit, uh, you know the, the the first origin. I think everybody who knows Batman these days knows that uh, you know he his parents were gunned down by a criminal and he became Batman out of that whole experience in his life. But that was told for the first time in Detective Comics number 33, uh, but it was sort of an abbreviated uh, origin of the character. Uh, and then um, a number of years later in 1948, in Batman number 47, Bill Finger, who had written the original origin, wrote a follow-up origin, a much more detailed origin. Of course, this is the cover story on that uh, on that Batman comic. And it was told that... Uh, Actually, uh, a criminal named Joe Chill had uh, had killed his parents, and Batman uh, uh, and Robin tracked down Joe Chill, and you know thought they had solved the the Wayne murders. And then, actually, about eight years after that, in 1956, I believe it was in Detective 235, there was another layer of the origin put on the character. This is now getting into the uh, early Silver Age, uh, late Golden Age, early Silver Age, depending on who you ask where uh, Finger again wrote another story where they introduced a character of Lou Moxon who apparently had hired Joe Chill to kill Thomas Wayne. So, um, you know, that origin developed over a period of many, many years uh, to where the, the core origin stayed the same, but different layers were added onto it, the Joe Chill or, uh, aspect of it and then the Lou Moxon aspect of it. So really to get a full flavor of the origin of Batman, you almost span the entire Golden Age and into the early Silver Age where you read those three stories and it really gives you a, a really good good idea of how uh, of how the origin of that particular Batman character took place. It was interesting though because I remember from reading the old Detective Comics, like the originals, um, they had you know they didn't really reveal who the Batman was at first, and right. it was even showing Bruce Wayne sitting listening to the radio, hearing about the Batman and such. Right. Well, in the in the very first. Uh, tale, um, they 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 do that. Uh, you know, you 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 meet uh, 
Bruce Wayne sitting with Commissioner Gordon in Detective 27. And, of course, Wayne is the bored playboy character that everybody, of course, uh, uh, knows him to be. And ultimately, um, you know, Gordon takes him along. Why Commissioner Gordon was taking the bored playboy along to crime scenes, you know, who knows. But that's uh, that's how they set all this up. And the very last uh, panel in that origin story, not the origin story, but the first story of Batman and Detective 27, they have uh, Bruce Wayne step out of his room in his home wearing the Batman costume. And so that's where they finally told you this bored young playboy really is the Batman. But they did, uh, you know, they did develop that character as time went by. But with a lot like a lot of the Golden Age superheroes of the time, they really didn't care about the origin very much. You know, it was all about showing the public these great adventure stories and these uh, superheroes and, and their spandex costumes and all that. And they really didn't didn't dwell on the origin very much. Uh, it wasn't until the fan base really got more uh, involved and people really started asking, well, gee, just how did this all happen? I think they spent a lot more time developing the characters and the origins of the characters. And then, you know, I know originally what Hugo Strange was the Batman's big villain at first, right? He was. Uh, Hugo Strange uh, uh, made uh, several appearances and was one of the chief villains that Batman faced. Actually, I want to say the very first villain that appeared in more than one Batman story was none other than Dr. Death, if I'm not mistaken. And oh, okay. uh, he appeared in two different uh, Batman stories, including... Uh, uh, the issue that I mentioned, Detective Comics number 35, which is famous for the uh, hypodermic needle cover. Uh, one of the first, uh, I want to say it's one of the first five Batman covers on Detective. And uh, Dr. Death was featured uh, in that story as well. So it went from him to uh, to Hugo Strange. But I think Hugo Strange was the first uh, you know, villain that, that, that really challenged Batman, if you will. Dr. Death really didn't offer a whole lot of challenge to the character uh, but it wasn't until, of course, uh, the Joker came along where Batman met his chief nemesis. Uh, uh, of course, that was in the pages of Batman number one, uh, which is, you know, it's a high dollar issue for a lot of reasons. One, it's, of course, number one, but it's the first appearance of the Joker in two different stories in that issue. And it's also the first appearance of Catwoman uh, in Batman number one. That's All right. that happened in one issue, which is pretty cool when you think about it. She was wearing that giant cat head. Yep, that's right. Uh, her. <laughs> Yeah, of all the of all the Batman villains, she's had more costumes than any of them. That's for sure. And isn't it amazing though that all of that happens in one issue? And whereas now, if they were cre- creating it and starting it, it would take twelve issues to get all of that in there. Oh yeah, <laughs> no, no question about it. Well, definitely a different when, time. When Batman was put into Detective Comics, who shared the comic with him at the time? Uh, they were. There were a lot of uh, characters. You know, you had uh, let's see, you had Slam Bradley with the main uh, character in Detective Comics, and in fact, I think that Slam Bradley always had the the final story in the uh, issue. Of course, he was uh, he was done by Siegel and Schuster, uh, who did Superman. Um, and I'm I'm trying to uh, to think. You know, I'm a Batman guy, but I don't really I don't really have a good feel for all the other characters in the early issues of Detective. But Slam Bradley was in there, and there were a number of other detective type characters you know obviously the name of the title would tell you that and uh the batman was really the first uh costumed character that took uh took the pages of uh, uh detective comics and uh of course really quickly took over the magazine but 
you know, it was a detective just like all the other D- DC titles of the time. It was uh, an anthology book. You had a lot of different characters that appeared. Same thing in action comics where Superman was. Right. And uh, a lot, a lot of, a lot of uh, cool things, but you don't really know about any of them anymore other than Batman. Right. And you know, like you said, he started. They started lighting up the character when they introduced Robin. And did he evolve more, like as World War Two came on and such, or? Um. Not you know, not really. Batman. It's it's interesting. Uh, Batman never really participated in the war efforts. Uh, that was explained in a series, and I'm no expert on the Bronze Age of comics, but I know that was explained uh, uh, in a Bronze Age series that uh, Hitler had the Spear of Destiny, I believe it was called, and kept all the DC superheroes from entering the the European theater of the war, uh, or something to that effect. But anyway. Uh, you know, Batman really, you know, as, as the war years uh, progressed, of course, the Batman character did. If you think about the original Batman, you know, he, he was by himself and then Robin came along. Uh, the Batmobile, uh, I've written a lot of blog posts at my blog uh, at goldenagecomics.org about the origin of the Batmobile. That was a mainstay, the, the Batarang, the Batplane, the Batgyro, all that stuff. But I think one of the main uh, characters to come along to... Uh, really changed the the uh, character of Batman and Robin quite a bit with Alfred. Uh, Alfred came along in the pages of Batman number 16 and uh, really changed him uh, forever because now you have this, this, this manservant, if you will, who knows their secret identities and is, is fighting right along with them. Uh, in fact, uh, he became so popular that for a while DC in the pages of Batman comics gave Alfred his own stories. Uh, so, you know, Alfred became really one of the main characters to support Batman and Robin. And, and that was, you know, an evolution of the character uh, with Robin. And now you have Alfred, you have a family, you know, you no longer have this lone adventurer who's out being the dark creature of the night. You've got this, this guy with this kid he's adopted in their uh, Butler running around fighting crime with all their cool toys. So it, it did develop over time. Very cool. And as you know, Batman, you know, his whole mythos grew and such, you know, the whole thing with the bat signal and, than as, you know, obviously his rogues gallery, too. Yep, a lot of really interesting uh, villains. Of course, we talked about the Joker and the Catwoman. Uh, you had, uh, of course, the Riddler, who only had a couple of Golden Age stories. Uh, you had uh, Two-Face, who started out in Detective and had a lot of uh, uh, appearances in uh, uh, Batman comics, uh, and a lot of others uh, that uh, developed. But, of course, uh, one of the other main ones was the Penguin, and I think if you look at the covers of Batman and Detective during the uh, during the war years and shortly after the war years, you'll see more covers with uh, Catwoman, uh, Penguin, and Joker than any other other, other villains. Um, like I said, the Riddler only had a couple of appearances, but the Penguin and uh, the Joker and the Catwoman probably, as far as the villains were concerned, dominated those covers. And, you know, of course, you know, then Batman also in the Golden Age started teaming up in the late 40s with Superman a lot. And that was world, World's Finest, world wasn't finest. it? Yep. Actually, uh, it's, it's interesting. A lot of people don't know this. I, I think a lot of people do know that Batman and Robin first and uh, Superman first appeared together for the very first time on the cover of the uh, 1940 World's Fair comic. Uh, they didn't appear in the stories together. They each had their own separate stories in there. 
that 1940 World's Fair comic became World's Best Comics, number one, which was essentially the first issue of World's Finest, and then it became World's Finest with number two. But they never had a team-up story in the pages of World's Finest until issue number 71, which was in the, I think, 1952, perhaps, something oh, like was that. that late? Yeah, it was that late. But there were there were two instances before that where Batman and Superman teamed up. One was uh, really a, a bit part that they had in the pages of All-Star Comics number 36, where they appeared together with the uh, JSA um, in a story called, I think it was called Three Drowned Men, a classic uh, Golden Age All-Star story uh, with the Justice Society. And then they also teamed up in the pages of uh, Superman number 76. That was their very first team up in a full length story together. Robin uh, did not appear as a, as, a, as a player in that particular story. Uh, but that's where they first teamed up. They learned each other's identities of Clark Kent and Bruce Wayne in that story. And it was about two or three years later when they started their team ups in the page of the world finest with number seventy one. Was that so, was, was that, that was the they were on the boat, right? Yeah, exactly what I was gonna ask. Them. Right. They were on a ship and yeah. they, they somehow they somehow got assigned a, a cabin together. Yep. You'd think a millionaire would not be sharing a uh, cabin <laughs> with a reporter. Yeah, you you'd think Bruce Wayne probably owned that boat, but you know, <laughs> there you go. But but you're right that they did appear on the covers of World's Finest. Uh, way back before then, uh, many times, of course, starting with the World's, World's Fair 1940 and moving all the way through the title. Uh, but they never appeared in the stories together in, uh, until issue number 71. Um, how was Batman's popularity like going into the 1950s as like the superhero craze started fading a little bit and such? Well, I think, uh, I think Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman were the three mainstays of DC Comics. And if you look at what happened in the 1950s when uh, the popularity of the superheroes uh, waned and, and actually just they, they almost completely went away, every single DC superhero uh, had their titles canceled and, their, and, and you didn't see them anymore except for Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman. Uh, they continued to appear in uh, their respective titles, Wonder Woman in Sensation, uh, Superman in Action, Batman and Detective, and then, of course, uh, the world's finest stories that we were talking about. So they, they remained popular, but they were not uh, as wildly popular. They didn't sell millions of copies like they had back in the, of course, in the war years. So they, they remained out there and they remained popular. And, of course, uh, you know, the, the, the television craze came along and, and almost ended the superheroes completely. Fortunately, they put Superman on TV and that changed a lot of things. But I think... Uh, you know, they, they hung in there, I guess is the best way to say it, and uh, people still bought them and still read them. Although I think you'll find as a collector that the superhero books from the, um, uh, you know, 1953 to 55 time frame, they're, they're kind of hard to find. There just weren't as many of them printed, and they're a little more difficult to find than the, the earlier issues and then the issues that started coming out after uh, the superheroes came back when when Flash appeared in Showcase Number Four. And My understanding is that uh, Batman, or at least one of the Bat books, was even threatened to be canceled before, right before the '60s series took off. Is that true? I think that's right. I've I've heard that again. I'm not as much up to date on on uh, on uh, the you know the Silver Age and moving into the the Bronze Age, but um, I, I I believe I've read that and. Uh, I think that's probably true. 
And of course, uh, you know, a lot of things uh, changed when that TV show came out. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So, what were your some of your uh, what are your some of your favorite Batman stories? Well, you know, I, I think uh, boy, I've got a whole lot of them. Uh, I, I've enjoyed enjoyed all of them. I think the the three origin stories that I talked about from Detective Thirty Three, Batman Forty Seven, and uh, Detective Two Thirty Five. Those are three of my favorites because, again, it, it spans so many years and, and keeps the continuity going. Uh, I really enjoy those stories. Uh, there, there's some of the uh, some of the Christmas stories that they did uh, with Batman and Robin back in the 40s. Uh, a lot of the Christmas covers, but some of those Christmas stories were were really great. Uh, a lot of a lot of nostalgia and all that. If you read those, uh, uh, really good stuff. So. You know, I I could go on and on. I guess uh, uh, a lot of those a lot of those stories are you know I'm very fond of. Also, the covers. You know, if, if if you look at the covers from the from the golden age, a lot of those Batman and detective covers uh, are my favorites. I think my favorite Batman cover is probably number ten, um, and my uh, detective cover. My I think my favorite detective cover is probably number uh, sixty nine. Both of those were drawn by Jerry Robinson. Uh, really great stuff uh, if you get a chance to look at them. Very cool. Those are some of the best, you know, the Batman stuff at that era, you know, is always stuff you look back at. And until I think the mid fifties, you know, he was the great detective. He was, it was very nor some of the stories he was doing and stuff at the time. They're very time oriented, very action oriented. Exactly. Yep, no, no, no doubt about it. Of course, you know. Then uh, you move into the to the wild and wacky uh, science fiction, science fiction stuff, and uh, you know you got um, you got all the uh, uh, you know the Batmite who who came along, and of course you had a Batwoman who was introduced uh, in Detective. I believe that was Detective Two Thirty Three, a uh, whole new character, and she had her. Uh, Batgirl, not the Batgirl, not the Barbara Gordon Batgirl, but a different Batgirl. It was a Kitty Kane uh, or something. Yeah, that's right. And uh, you know that that really started to completely change uh, the character. And then moving into the to the Silver Age, you know, it, it got wackier and wackier. To be honest with you, and finally, uh, when they they did what what they called the New Look Batman uh, in Detective Three Twenty Seven, where they changed the character, and of course, the hallmark of the New look Batman is uh, the yellow oval around the bat symbol on his chest as opposed to just a black bat. Um, you know, those stories changed radically then from the science fiction theme stories and all of that. Back tried to get back to more of the, uh, you know, the earlier stories. But if you read a lot of those, uh, uh, you know, early to mid-60s stories, some of them are just as painful to read as uh, <laughs> some of the uh, science fiction stories. Well, it was one of those weird things. There was a there was a time frame there where it was funny that you know Superman was fighting crooks in three piece suits and Batman was fighting aliens. Yep, that's right. <laughs> it was bizarre, you know, and I, I and I think that might be indicative of uh, they were trying all they could to keep readership up, and they were doing all they could to make Batman relevant uh, mm-hmm. to the to the kids, you know, who were watching science fiction on TV and westerns and all those things. You know, look at the. There are a lot of uh, Western kind of theme stories, too, in, in some of the Batman. Uh, even one story called The Origin of the Batcave, where they went back to uh, basically you know, the Indian times and, and indicated that the Batcave had, had its origin in, with Indians and all this sort of thing. So, you know, a lot, a lot of stuff like that, trying to keep their readership up. Right, right. 
as we've talked about, uh, as we talked about before, um, and this is, you know, Batman is a, and it's not only an enduring, but he's one that, that seems to, uh, be able to transition through a lot of different types of stories, whether it be for, for children or for adults or whether it's the dark knight or it's the, uh, sort of great detective, the lighthearted one, uh, you know, the sixties. Seems like there's a lot of different versions out there. And um, it's just amazing. Do you have any uh, thoughts as to why he's so versatile? And 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 was that something that you think they they note that they at all noticed when they created him? That, that's a great question, and you know it's, it's a tough one to answer. But you know, if you compare Batman to Superman, um, you know Superman, you know he he the only way he changed was they ramped up his powers. You know, he went from the guy that could jump a long way to the guy that could fly across the universe, okay? But the core of Superman kind of stayed the same. Batman changed in a lot of different ways, and I think the way they got away with that is Batman was just a guy. Uh, he didn't have superpowers. You know, he was really smart. He had a whole lot of money, and he could do with those things just about whatever he wanted to do. And so, you know, I, I think that, that the character evolved uh, more easily because as a as a normal guy they could they could make probably more radical changes and explain it away by uh, a new costume or he bought this or he he you know a new gadget or whatever it may be. Um, that's the that's the best thing I can I can come up with. Uh, and of course, as I said, trying to make him relevant in whatever period of time you're you're talking about. You know, the the 1940s Batman had very little relevancy to the 1960s, and so they had to to change that character to uh to adapt to the time superman on the other hand you know he's uh, the boy scout uh, always will be the boy scout uh wore the same costume and you, you know and uh he, he was superman and so they didn't tinker with him a whole lot uh, other than adding you know more characters and uh, kryptonite and all those things into the mix but you know super, uh, batman they i think they they tinkered with him more to try to keep him relevant right because the batman that exists today is it's if you held him up against the Batman existed in the Golden Age, they they almost look like two different characters. Oh, absolutely, and and you know you ask somebody, well, you know, who's going to win in a slugfest, the 1940s Batman or the Batman in 2011? And you know, you know, I mean, there's no doubt about it, the 2011 Batman is going to clean his clock. Mm-hmm. So without a use of without a use of a gun, <laughs> that, that's right, exactly. So you know, I think I think you know the characters have changed. Uh, uh, of course, you know the current Batman is is uh, you know on the verge of uh, <laughs> on the verge of mental instability sometimes. You know, and yeah, we uh, talked about that on Sunday. Yeah, and uh, you know he <laughs> you you got to wonder the Batman of the '40s and the '50s. There was no doubt he was uh, there was no mental instability issues about him. Uh, he had a mission and and he was gonna you know follow through with it. Other than running around wearing a cape and a bat you know uniform. So. Oh, cool. Cool. Uh, anything else you want to uh, bring attention to during this uh, great time of, of Batman's history? Uh, well, you know, not not a whole lot. I, I will say uh, I, I probably share this uh, this sentiment with some other folks, but uh, I'm a bit disappointed that DC decided to to start all the titles over again with new numbers. You you all may have discussed that in your previous uh, uh, recording, oh, yeah. but uh, you know, those of us that are that have been collecting this this character and his titles forever. Uh, it's, it's sort of disheartening to have to see the end of these numbers. Now, will they do what Marvel did with Spider-Man and 
change it back to the original numbering sequence. Maybe we'll see, but I'm a little at least for anniversaries. <laughs> you would hope, yep. and they're doing yeah. that. they're actually doing that with Fantastic Four for a couple of weeks. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. So you know, you never know. But uh, you know, other than that, uh, I, I think uh, you know Batman has has proven over the years that uh, he's certainly resilient. Uh, he's made uh, made uh, DC Comics and now Warner Brothers uh, millions and millions and millions of dollars in every dis- every kind of uh, uh, media you could think of, whether it's print or on the the big screen or the little screen. So. Uh, it's going to be fun to watch the character evolve over the next uh, 50 years. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, thank you so much. I know you have uh, done a lot of uh, blogging as well as uh, podcasting on the character, and, and those are still out there, right? So for people yep. who want to just look up and, and, and find out some more about the Golden Age, they can they can go to uh, the website as well as the, um, uh, the podcasts are still available on iTunes and at the website, correct? Yeah, uh, my uh, my blog is uh, goldenagecomics.org, goldenagecomics.org. Okay. And uh, all my podcasts are there, and uh, all of my blog posts about Batman and a lot of other Golden Age uh, characters and uh, whatnot are there as well. Fantastic. Cool. Thank Thanks you so, so much, much for joining us. It's always awesome to talk to you. Awesome. All right, guys. Well, I, enjoy, I enjoyed it. Y'all have a great evening. Thanks, Bill. Right. You too. Thanks, Bill. Right. See ya. See ya. Take Bye. care. Welcome back to the ESO Podcast. Now it's time for Mike's Con Report. Well, last weekend was one of my favorite shows of the year, which was the Chicago Comic Con. Uh, it is a Wizard World show. And uh, I unfortunately, I did not go, get a chance to go this year. But we have two guys here that, uh, that did get to go. Welcome back, Matt. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me on again. And uh, yeah, it was great. And and Bill, welcome yes. back to the show. I'm here, still recovering from Wizard World Chicago Comic Con. Yes, My legs are st- still tired. And still recovering from your mishap last week. We missed you last week, so I'm glad everything is uh, working fine now. Uh, yes, uh, my uh, modem had a spike through the phone line and took out my DSL modem. So I've got a surge protector now. Oh, nice. Nice. Well, uh, let's get started. Uh, I guess, uh, let's see. Matt, were you there all three days? I was there. Yeah, actually, I had a four-day pass. I went in on Thursday night and uh, attended every day through Sunday. And, Bill, you were just there Saturday? That is correct. I was just there Saturday for uh, about four hours. Awesome. Well, uh, let's, uh, Matt, we'll start with you um, on, on how opening day was and, and get into uh, your experiences there. And, and, and Bill, feel free to, to, uh, to, to comment as well. All right. Thursday was very nice because uh, the attendance was not incredibly strong for Thursday night. Uh, there wasn't anything in terms of panels or anything like that really going on. Uh, but the floor was open. You know, that's when all everybody's really stocked up and everything's really nice. Um, also, uh, some of the some of the uh, guests 
were uh, in attendance signing autographs and that thing. And I got an opportunity to talk to Peter Mayhew as well as uh, uh, Bonnie Peace, both from the Star Wars sagas. I didn't know you spoke Wookiee. Yeah, uh, I didn't speak Wookiee very well, but uh, fortunately, Mr. Mayhew was uh, uh, very gracious and and spoke English to me. Very English to me. I thought you'd be walking up to him going, Mr. Mayhew, I love you. He he is a, a a genuinely nice guy. I mean, I only got to spend a couple minutes with him, but he was very gracious, you know, with his time. And uh, I felt kind of bad for him simply for the fact that um, I don't think he gets around quite as well as he used to. Um, but nonetheless, he uh, he was in great spirits. Uh, he was very engaging with anybody who came up and talked to him. He was amazing. And uh, as far as Bonnie Peace goes. Uh, I was not aware that she had a musical career as well. And I got to spend a good 10, 15 minutes at her table just talking about music, which was incredible. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and is, this is the first time you've ever – is this the first time you've ever been to a, a convention like this? So, certainly a wizard show? It was my first wizard show. It was my first larger convention. So uh, going the transition from, say, like a TimeGate, which is mm-hmm. which was the last show that I attended um, – to this, actually, the Thursday was perfect because it was a good kind of eased you into it. <laughs> exactly, I got the orientation of everything uh, in a way, but it still I didn't feel uh, overcrowded. Say, like uh, Saturday was very busy. I'm sure Bill can attest to that. Oh yeah, it looks like attendance was up over last year. Really? Uh, Saturday was just packed, even in the uh, Artist Alley small press table area. Uh, I spoke with Chris Walker of Headhunter Studios, yes. and he said he was doing really well. He was about in the center of the uh, small press tables, and uh, I uh, talked to some other folks around there, and they said they were doing really well, too. So I think, in my opinion, uh, granted it was on a Saturday, but like I said, the small press area, Artist Alley, was just packed. Uh, it was more packed in the celebrity area, of course, but uh, I was really happy with the crowds. And from the folks I talked to, they were doing really well as well. Cool. Well, um, tell us more about uh, – so you, So that was Thursday. How was uh, Friday, man? Friday was uh, a little busier and uh, not too terribly bad. There were some uh, good Buffy panels, for instance, uh, Nicholas Brandon and, and uh, Kelly Donovan. Uh, the twins, uh, they were there, uh, as well as uh, Claire Kramer and Mercedes. Now, I've never seen the the twins together at the same time. Do they yeah. really? I mean, is it is it is it really hard to tell the difference between the two of them? Well, these days, facially, they still look almost identical. But uh, in terms of uh, their size, Kelly is a little thinner than than Nicholas uh, these days. But it they they still. <laughs> Their voices are very similar. Everything about them is very similar. Their their, their mannerisms and everything. So it, even with the physical difference in them now, you it, it, you can still definitely tell that there was probably a time when you wouldn't have been able to tell them apart at all. Wow. So okay, cool. So you saw the the Buffy panel, and there was a lot of guests from Buffy. So I'm sure that was a pretty big panel. Yeah, actually, they split them up into several different smaller panels. Like the one panel was just Nicholas and, and Kelly. Another panel that I saw that evening was uh, uh, Claire Kramer, who played Glory in season five, and Mercedes McNabb, of course, who played Harmony. And that was a good panel as well. 
Oh, cool. And uh, is that is that all you did on Friday, or? Uh, I didn't. I couldn't get into the Torchwood panel. I got there uh, too late to get into that. I ah, so wanted to see that. I really yeah. wanted to see that. Um, but I did have a friend that attended, and and she said that it was it was very good. So who from Torchwood was there? Uh, Gareth, uh, David Gareth Lloyd, and uh, Kai Owen. So Reese was there. Oh, cool. Yeah, and uh, I'm sure Yanto got a lot of love <laughs> as well. <laughs> Well, cool. So, um, so that was the highlights on Friday. That was the highlights on Friday for sure. Yeah. Gotcha. But uh, now, you what was said the, you, what was the what was the crowd like on Friday? The crowd was uh, got busier as the day went on. Would say it wasn't as uh, it wasn't too bad at the beginning. I spent the first part of the day uh, spending money in photo ops, and I got to meet. Uh, uh, I got to meet Christopher Lloyd, and uh, I got my picture taken also with James Marsters and uh, Charisma Carpenter. But ah, yes, because you were. I think the two that you were excited about was Charisma, and yeah. were you, you were there to meet Patrick Stewart too, were right? That was on Saturday. Yes, he was. Ah. I, I I didn't do the uh, I didn't do the photo op with Patrick Stewart. That was just a little bit too much out of my price range. Sure, so. sure, sure. Was he there all three days though? I believe he was there uh, from Friday afternoon. Uh, he did a photo a photo op session there. I'm not sure if he if he was in the celebrity row or not during that time, but he was there Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, awesome. Now, now, did you guys did you get to witness when the the, cup, the guy proposed to his girlfriend in front of Patrick Stewart? I know that video has been floating around the internet a lot. Yeah, uh, that happened actually. I think at the at the autograph booth, and I wasn't mm-hmm. there at the time that it happened. Uh, but yeah, the engage. Yeah, that's, yeah, that was funny. I, yeah, that was a story that was floating all. It, it made it through the whole convention very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, because the video is funny because you don't really realize that they're in front of Patrick Stewart's table until she says yes, and the guy with the camera pans over and he reaches up. Patrick Stewart's there, and he reaches up and grabs both their hands and goes, "Engaged." (laughs) (laughs) It was really cheesy from what I heard, but it was awesome. Yeah, that's great. That is awesome. (laughs) Love it. Cool. So, what were the other highlights? Well, um, for. Saturday, I guess, since Bill was there, what, what was your experience, sir? On uh, Saturday, um, I uh, noticed they had a better layout than uh, last year. Uh, in the back corner, uh, last year, I think uh, Mike and I attended, and there was a lot of empty tables, a lot of unused space in that back corner. And what they did this year is they draped all those in black tablecloths, made that a huge gaming area. Uh, and there were actually several gamers, you know, back there. Um, and then they had a row of fan club tables. Uh, oh, they, nice. they, they made smaller the food court area uh, next to the concession area. And I don't know if it was one dealer or several dealers, but they had a lot of backstock bins there. Um, and I just got this sense. Oh, and then they moved up. They moved up the whole small press table area up one more like column towards the door. So it was bigger. Um, And it just felt like there was no unused space, really. There were still some tables in the back, but they were draped in black, and that just made a world of difference. And um, it just seemed to better attend it. Oh, and there was a lot of people I have never seen there before 
in the, again in Artist Alley, small press. Um, and I've been to several conventions. I don't know if Philly was going on at the same weekend. I think it was, but uh, there were a lot of people there that I've never seen there or at any other convention before. So I thought that was interesting. Um, with that said, I really tried to find something new and interesting uh, book, like comic book wise to purchase in the uh, small press area. And unfortunately I didn't find anything that really piqued my interest enough for a purchase, but I did, there was some great prints, you know, at these conventions, a lot of people will buy uh, like a, a, a pose of a superhero that they like uh, more so than uh, uh, sort of uh, sequential art or something like that. And there was a lot of that around and there was some really, really nice ones. And um, the, the one that really impressed me the most, and I know I'm going to uh, not pronounce this correctly, but uh, her name, I believe, was Sho Maras. And her website is trozos.blogspot.com, T-R-O-Z-O-S.blogspot.com. And she had some really unique and just plain awesome black and white and red character artwork pieces. And I really thought about a purchase. I didn't purchase anything at this time, but I did relay the fact that I really liked her work and I picked up a, a really unique card, a business card that she has. And uh, I look forward to purchasing something from her in the future. And um, then the dealer area was really happening. Uh, one of the things about this convention is, is back stock. Uh, if you need any kind of back stock issue, this is a really good con to get that at or any type of uh, older toy that you grew up with this is probably a con to go to to get that and um there were some pieces that i liked but i i held off on uh i was i was a good boy and didn't didn't really spend that much <laughs> but um um one of the most unique tape uh, dealer tables that i saw was uh, a japanese food booth it was like a whole it was huge and it had all kinds of drinks and sweets and everything was written in uh, Japanese, so I couldn't figure out what anything was. And uh, uh, I didn't try any of it, but it's they were they were doing pretty well. Um, and um, the other thing I want to mention, uh, they had uh, for for celebrity guests. Uh, it seemed to be less wrestling this year. And I did think I, 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 you know, I'm not up on my wrestling, but I thought I saw some female wrestlers in something called New Blue Order which was wrestling, but um, it just didn't stand out like it has in years past. Hmm. Uh, so I don't know if I just wasn't aware of the wrestlers or if it did seem to be um, not so much with the wrestling this year. But um, other things that were really interesting that I noticed, uh, and it looks like there were some cutbacks um, in years past, there have, there's always been a program when you when you get your ticket, you go and you get your bag, and in your bag is a program and a bunch of other like swag and like little cards or something, and you know different artists will pay money to have their cards in the bag and stuff like that. Well, this year I only noticed that they had bags. There was no program. What they did was they printed up uh, size eleven by seventeen or A four size, just a black and white printout. Had uh, on one sheet was programming, and then another sheet was the the map of the floor uh where ev where everybody was guests um dealers and, and artists um and that was it there was no program book whatsoever um 
And the it, last year they had a Wizard World booth where you could buy shirts, uh, you could buy lanyards, protectors for your photos. And um, I think they had some exclusives last year. Yes. Um, this year, the Wizard World, were, I'm sorry, this year, the Wizard World booth was just an area to, um, for kid face painting. And that's it. No you're, kidding. You're kidding. No. Wow. wow. I, I didn't see any Wizard World booth where they were selling anything. Yeah. So it seems like they've gone through some cutbacks on their shows, or maybe, you know, since they did have so many big guests, they, you know, couldn't afford that. I don't know, but that was, yeah. I thought pretty interesting. And um, I don't know if Matt went through the Captain America Norton security trailer, but I did not get a chance to go through that. Uh, I was wondering what that was like. I didn't get a chance to go through that either. And in regards to the programming uh, or the pro- lack of programs, I too was a little disappointed in that. In fact, I'm holding uh, the sheet that had the, the panel listings on it right now. And the only thing I can think of, you know, Sean Mayer was supposed to appear um, there were several guests, I think, that were originally billed to appear and then canceled. And I'm wondering if this was kind of a last-minute solution uh, because I, as a lot of panel times from what they had on their website changed as comparison to uh, what's on this sheet here. And I'm wondering if that was part of, uh, part of the problem in terms of getting a, a good program out. Uh, it w- I would hate to think that they that they uh, they had to eat a lot of money on a program you know that they had pressed, but probably not. Um, maybe they they they've gone to this in order to make it more easy to uh, 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 make last minute changes. Well, I but also I, did... I also did find that though with when I went to San Diego, that they didn't have a booth for like T-shirts and stuff like that for you know the Comic Con, which you would expect trying to make any kind of money they could. Yeah. Well, and also right. let's not forget, I mean, Wizard Magazine went under since last year. So uh, they don't really have quite the publishing arm that they have had in years past. So uh, that could be part of it as well. Yeah. And they don't have quite the staff either because of that. Yeah, Good I point. would agree with that for sure. <laughs> but Because a, a lot of decision-making uh, was placed kind of in the hands of volunteers this year. Oh, really? uh, yeah. So uh, I, I, I really, uh, I, I, I did notice that uh, and was, there, there were times when you couldn't find a staff member for anything, but the volunteers were very good. You know, I, I thought that they did a tremendous job considering the kind of responsibility that they were given. Um, it's not an easy thing. And, and as far as Bill talking about, you know, there were an awful lot of stars there. Uh, for instance, on Saturday, uh, panels I attended were like Julie Benz at 12, I got to go to the Patrick Stewart uh, panel at two. Um, Felicia Day came on at three. I didn't get to attend that. I tried to get into the Christopher Lloyd panel. There were already lines forming for the Christopher Lloyd panel uh, as soon as the Patrick Stewart panel went in, and they were clearing the panel rooms with each panel. That's so cool. Was, it's better than San Diego, right? So, so, but you did have to kind of pick. You know, if if you had several stars in a row in A, you had to kind of pick which one you wanted to see. It doesn't sound like the panel rooms were that big then. They were not very big. Well, panel room A was was quite sufficient, uh, and uh, the Stewart panel got filled up, um, but the Lloyd panel uh, looked like it was going on forever. So I I just – I bailed on that, and I ended up going to the Charisma Carpenter panel, which was a very small panel room actually. Um, but I was able to get in uh, simply for the fact that I think everybody was had their mind on Christopher Lloyd. 
so I saw that at four. Uh, for instance, on Sunday, uh, of course, the James Marsters panel was uh, at 11. The uh, Vivica Fox panel, which I, I thought was really good, was at, uh, I guess, one o'clock in room B, again, in a smaller room. Louis Gossett Jr. did two panels over the course of the weekend. Um, no, no, it's Academy Award-winning Louis Gossett Jr. Did you're absolutely correct. Um, I, I apologize, Mr. Gossett, if you're listening. Uh, and uh, the Walking Dead uh, wasn't a whole lot of, of big-name cast members there, uh, but there was some of the cast there, and they did a preview of, of, of season two, which was very good. Oh, nice. Nice, cool. Any, uh, any other... Um, um Highlights for either one of you. I know that, uh, Bill, you weren't uh, there primarily to meet the, the man. Yes, I come away disappointed. Really? Um, yeah, I did not get his autograph, actually. Bruce Campbell is who we're talking about. Um, what happened was he – imagine this. His line was really long. <laughs> and um, Yeah, and he actually, I think, went to a panel or something at about – Five o'clock, they had closed off his line, and I overheard one of the staff talking to some uh, patrons, and she was saying something about VIP passes. She said, well, you really need to get a VIP pass because I hate for you to stand in line and not get his autograph you know, and wait all that time. And I didn't quite know what she's talking about, and I still don't know. I looked it up. I did some research when I got back, but um, the VIP pass basically from their website says that get, you get – if you buy a VIP pass, you get in all four days, and you get in before the regular crowd that buys just a regular pass. Um, but then what's strange is on the, the right-hand side of the Wizard World Comic Con website is they break it out. They say, you know, buy a ticket, a VIP ticket for Bruce Campbell. Buy a VIP ticket for Julie Benz, uh, Felicia right. Day, James Marston. But then you click on that, and it takes you to some sort of Facebook page, and – I don't, I, when I was there, I thought you had to buy a VIP ticket for that celebrity, you know, some of these more popular celebrities that have the larger lines to be assured that you're you, like you get a spot up front before others. And that's what this person was talking about. But when I got back and I did the research, it doesn't look like that's the case. But I still don't understand why they break it out and say VIP for Bruce Campbell, VIP for James Marsters. Um, but it's not everybody. It's only yeah. like five five people. I, I couldn't figure that out. But anyway, I did not get uh, Bruce Campbell's autograph. I did get Mercedes uh, McNabb uh, as I worked through my Buffy collection of autographs. And I did get Cindy Morgan from the original Tron. Um, I did try to get Christopher Lloyd's, but uh, he didn't show up at his table till about 5.30. And the con closed at 7 in his line was actually even longer than Bruce Campbell's line or just as long. So I wasn't able to get uh, Christopher Lloyd for myself and a, and a friend. So I did walk away with two autographs, and um, um, I'm still happy. I'll, I'll track down Bruce at another show at some point. Um, but one last Beware, thing. Beware, Bruce. <laughs> one last should, have, should have had mojitos with you. you know. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> And you know Christopher Lloyd will be at Dragon Con, so exactly. you'll have an opportunity awesome. to get that one there. Right? Yeah. Right. Well, and, you know yeah, how I... Doc Brown is with time. Come on. Exactly. <laughs> well, I, I can comment a little bit on those VIP passes. They were broken up okay. for different things, like the Buffy and whatever. It was more about panel admission than admission than anything else. If you say you had a uh, a James Marsters uh, 
VIP specific, then you were put in a separate line to line up for the panel and uh, you were allowed into the panel room before the rest of the line was. Um, those were the kind of accesses that the VIP pass was giving you more than anything else. Um, there were some uh, VIP packages in terms of the photo op stuff as well, uh, where you could get your pictures taken with all of the group uh, or each individual member of the group at a, at a significantly reduced rate or basically for free or for the, the VIP pass price. Um, but uh, for the most part, I found that uh, those passes weren't particularly helpful unless you were like dying to get into a Christopher Lloyd panel or something like that. Perhaps it might help you there. Um, it didn't seem like it was worth the money to me, uh, especially in, since it was some of those things were focused just on one star. And basically the only way they were going to help you was with a panel. Ah, gotcha. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to mention was um, best costume category. I didn't see a lot of people in costume, but I do have a best costume of what I saw at the convention. And uh, that was a guy dressed up as a centaur, half man, half horse. He was bare chested, dressed on his lower half as a horse. He's pulling a cart behind him, which is also dressed as the rest of the horse and the, and the carts on wheels. And it just looked amazing. Uh, really attention getting. So that's my best costume of the con. Uh, Matt, do you have a best costume? I saw that one as well, and that was my favorite too. Yeah, it was it was it was great. Uh, there was also a girl in a really nice TARDIS dress that was incredibly awesome that I saw. So that was cool. Nice. I missed that. They have a uh, now. I know that from prior years, they've always had a stand that's kind of in the middle that really focuses on. Doctor Who merchandise. I would imagine that if he was there, then they were probably doing some pretty bang up business this year. Oh yeah, the the Dalek uh, was uh, the Dalek was sitting right uh, along the front row as you as you walked in and moved to your right. He was on your left, right there in, in visible view, and they had a lot of a lot of the toys and 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 things like that. Um, Bill, did you visit that at all? I did. I uh, I looked around and I saw all the new figures, and I thought. I need to get those, <laughs> but I, <laughs> yeah. I, at some point. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that was kind of the way I was. It was like, um, wow, this is really cool. I wish I'd have budgeted for this. <laughs> <laughs> Touché. Always leave them wanting more. Well, it sounds like both of you had a great time, and uh, I, I definitely appreciate uh, you guys uh, reporting for us. And uh, anything else you guys want to mention about the show? I, I had a great time. Um as uh, Bill said, it seemed a little um, less organized, perhaps, than I would have expected. But, you know, when you have that many people, I will say this. A lot of the people that I met at this convention were locals. They were from Chicago. And every single person was a great fan of whatever they were doing. You know, it was a great place to meet fellow fans of, of the same thing. I, I think the people was what made the convention for me more than anything else. Excellent. Cool. Well, let me ask this. I, I've been noticing at a lot of conventions this year, um, I've been hearing, you hear a lot of people go, well, this is my first time at a convention. Did you guys run into a lot of that uh, newbies at the conventions for, you know? I got, your... I got schooled a lot more than I, than I met no. uh, fellow <laughs> compadres, but, uh, it, but that was great because everybody was very friendly and very helpful. It's like, oh, your first time here. Well, you know, check this out and don't go to that concession stand because you'll wait there for an hour and you'll miss your panel and whatever. So it was, it was very cool to, uh, 
to just meet people that that were experienced actually for me nice oh nice yeah, it was a great show. Lots of dealers, uh, lots of backstock, uh, lots of celebrities, lots of artists. Um, it is really a good show, and it's uh, it's kind of a, a unique show in that it differs from other shows that I've I've been to uh, for those reasons. And it's definitely worth your time uh, if you can get a chance to go. I would highly recommend it. Cool, very cool. Well, again, thank you both, and I I'm sorry I missed out on the fun. But uh, for those people who want to take part in a convention that's upcoming, there's a, a few on the on the slate for August. Uh, this weekend coming up, the 17th through the 21st, is the Baltimore Comic Con. And I've heard a lot of good things about that show. Uh, so it's one that I hope to attend at some point. Uh, so if anybody's out there that is attending it, plan on attending it, and wants to do a report, please contact us. Uh, also, this coming weekend, uh, August uh, 19th and 20th, uh, down here in the Atlanta area is OnyxCon, which um, is being held at the on, let me check, the Southwest Arts Center. Uh, very comic book related as well. Smaller show. Uh, general mission, just 10 bucks though. So if you're in the local area, go check that out. Also, uh, next weekend is uh, in Toronto, the Fan Expo Toronto show which uh also is a f- huge um pop culture show more than more than anything i mean the, you'll get a lot of guests uh, it's almost like a wizard show but it's not <laughs> uh so and it's a it's a good comic show too for those people who are interested in comics and of course the uh the first weekend in, in september is dragon con i know that bill here has a announcement that unfortunately he didn't get to make last weekend but he is ready to announce it this week. Uh, yes, this is an ESO first announcing it here for the first time worldwide. Join Zoe Zellerman and her family's traveling mythical circus as they seek out the greatest legendary creature, the creatures the world has ever known in a soon-to-be-discovered new comic book titled The Adventures of Crypto Zoe, written by me, Bill Kilhorn, in my first comic book, Art by Heidi Arnold, known for her previous work on the manga version of Dark Crystal. Editors and editor and letters by ESO co-host Howdy Michael A. Gordon, also known for his book Tiki Zombie, and introducing a or including rather a two-page story by Lewis Cox III, featuring the legendary adventures of that traveling twosome Mike and Bill as they go to the circus. Uh-oh. Revealing itself to the world at the 25th anniversary of Dragon Con, September 2nd through the 5th, 2011, in an exciting convention special edition, free with any purchase at our new Legend Productions booth. Just look for the Tiki umbrella. Exactly. Yes, it is. Uh, I have seen the art on this thing, and it is phenomenal. So there will be a preview edition available exclusively at our booth at Dragon Con, and you can get one with any purchase. And I will have plenty of, there'll be plenty of stuff on our table to purchase, so to make it worth it, so. Cool. I'm looking forward to that. Heidi's, Heidi's a fantastic artist. I'm That's really looking forward cool. to That's very cool. I knew you guys were working on something secret from what we were talking about at uh, TimeGate. Right. Yes, uh, yeah, because Heidi was at TimeGate. So, yep. Very cool, guys. So Cryptozo, look for it. And uh, we'll have some stuff online, too, as well. So so cool. Well, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. And uh, now I think it's time for 
I think it's time to count down, Mike, don't you? I think it's time for the Dragon Con countdown. Switching to the redundant sense sequencer. T minus 27 seconds. We have gone for redundant set sequencer start. T minus 20 seconds and counting. T minus 15, 14, 13. It's time for the ESO countdown to Dragon Con. And with us on our countdown uh, this week is the director of the Dragon Con comics and pop art section uh, is uh, Tom Trainer. Thanks for joining us, Tom. Thanks for having me, guys. This is a blast. So, yes, the wild and craziness that is the comics and pop art section of Dragon Con. Tell us what we can look forward to this year. Uh, well, hopefully some craziness. We, don't, we usually don't get the craziness in comics for some reason. We don't, it's like there's some kind of weird, like you have to invite them in kind of thing, I think. But uh, people, we never get like the lunacy. But, but there is fun stuff. We've got, um, got about 100 uh, featured creators between comics lowbrow, toy design, sketch cards. Um, it's a pretty pretty diverse lineup. Um, some returning favorites like Darwin Cook and J. Scott Campbell. Bernie Wrightson's back with us. Uh, we've also got some uh, some legends in addition to Bernie this year. We've got Jim Steranko, Jim Starlin, Mike Grell. Um, nice. So it's a you know, very impressive lineup. Dragon Con has really gotten, the, the comic section has grown wonderfully. We're very, very fortunate. Yes, it has. It is uh, leaps and bounds over a few years ago. So how long have you been associated with the track? I think, if I'm not mistaken, I believe this is my sixth year, possibly my seventh. Um, wow. I actually, and, and you I still was, have I hair? Was small show. Yeah, I was, I was with a small show um, prior, and then that folded. And um, I actually had a, a heart attack and was recuperating when I got the call to come down and uh, help out with Dragon Con and... Uh, because I was so heavily medicated, I agreed. Oh, yeah, because uh, that's, that's a real soothing experience, right? <laughs> yeah, well, it, you know, it was weird because I got the call literally like a week, I think, before the show. And I I don't think I had any, like I had like August 1st, I had my heart attack, I recovered, and then the show was like August 30th. So I got that, like literally three weeks, I think, after my heart attack, I got the call. And I was like, you know, well, I lived through that. Certainly I can live through this. Yeah. And, uh, it was a real eye opener because I had, you know, I'd gone to Dragon Con, but I'd never spent the entire weekend at the show and had never been involved in anything other than being a fan. And having been with Atlanta Comic Con, which was a much, much, much smaller show, you know, I was, I was just blown away. And it, it was fun. It was, it was very fun. But at the time, um, I had no idea what Dragon Con was really about. I hadn't even, I, to be completely honest, I had lived in Atlanta since 1983. I never really, like, I would go there on a Saturday, go to the Comics Artist Alley, and maybe go and sit and watch a, a film or something, and then I'd get out of there. Because I was, you know, being from the suburbs, I was obviously afraid of Atlanta after 7 p.m. because it becomes evil and, and horrible crime ensues. And if you don't get back outside the perimeter before 8, you can't get in. So I would rush back. And then this was the first time that I was actually down there the whole time. It was a blast. It was like insanity. So, um... Oh, dra- oh, Dragon Con after dark is a whole nother beast. <laughs> yeah, it's literally, it's, it's, it's like two shows. Like that, that was the weird thing when I would, like I would start going to promote it at, at other shows and I would talk to people and they would be like, oh, that's that fantasy show. And I'd be like, no, no, no. And 
and finally we got to the point where we were trying to explain to people, it's like, well, you know, during the day, it's your, you know, your show, you've got your, you know, your, whatever your typical convention would be as far from typical, but, you know, you've got your panels, you've got your presentations, you've got your dealer's room, and then at most shows, it's 6.30, 7 o'clock, everyone goes home, some of the pros go to the bars, and then uh, you come back the next day, and at Dragon Con, it's literally like half time at 7 o'clock, you know, you try and grab something to eat, and then you're back until 4 o'clock in the morning watching, you know, Wookiees dance with Doctor Who, and it's crazy. So, yeah, it's, it's quite the spectacle. For anyone who has never been, which, you know, I don't know why anyone would never go, but um, it's quite an eye-opener. It's, it's, it's definitely no, uh, no plumber's convention. <laughs> well, definitely. It's one of those things where I, I know that since I've been going there for 17, 18 years now, and, and I've heard other people say, oh, it's not really a comic show, but that's really, you know, especially now. But even back then, it was still, there was still always a comics presence. And I think it was a, a disservice to say that, you know, you couldn't, as a, as a comic fan, you wouldn't have a good time there because there was always plenty of creators. And, and locally, we've got a lot of talent to pull from. Oh, yeah. And I mean, you know, the, I think the, the biggest misconception that people had about Dragon Con and the comics aspect was that, it, like you said, there was no, you know, they would say it's not a comic show, and it is not a comic show, nor is it a fantasy show or a gaming show. It's, you know, it's a multimedia convention that has something literally for every genre of fandom. And, you know, comics is always represented, that, you know, the the founder of the show is a big fan of comics and, you know, much of, I mean, it's hard pressed to find anybody at that show who's not a fan of comics or graphic fiction and stuff. So, you know, when I, when I came along, that's what I heard from a lot of people was, oh, it's not a comic show. And, you know, I, I think the first year that I was there, I, I met Al Feldstein and Bernie Wrightson and, um, Franco. I mean, it was a, oh no, it was Howard Chaikin. It was Howard Chaikin. And, you know, I walked away, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm not, Sure, I'm getting this whole no comics thing at Dragon Con because you know these are some pretty heavy hitters. Um, but I think what happened was, you know, at most conventions that are perceived as comic book conventions, that's like right there from the center in your face. And at Dragon Con, it's one small component of a much bigger machine, and so it tends to, you know, people, you know, it's like seeing a shiny silver coin on the sidewalk when you're on your way to get your shoe shine. You know, it's like you're on your way to the comics track, and then you know a beautiful red Sonya walks by you and you're like, I'm going to go see where she's headed. Well, exactly. Yeah. So it's, but you know, if you just, if you put like side blinders on and make a deadline, you know, beeline right for comics, you know, you're, you're in for a big surprise. And then later go see the red Sonya girl and follow her to Chick-fil-A because she's going to be there all weekend. And you go rush it. Yeah. She has a thing for Chick-fil-A then. <laughs> yeah, and she probably doesn't have a thing for you. That's, that's like rule number one of going to the convention. Yeah. When, when a girl dresses like your favorite comic book character, that is not her way of saying, please hit on me. That is just her way of saying, I also like to read Vampirella and I work out 17 hours a day and I get to wear this costume. But, it's like, I always want to have like a panel at the show on convention etiquette, and that's like rule number one. You know, just because your favorite creator is there doesn't mean he wants to be your best friend. Mm-hmm. And just because a girl dresses up like your favorite character does not mean you're dating her. We should actually do that, Mike, next week on our uh, <laughs> Dragon oh, I, Con oh, I, show. Oh yeah, we will be doing uh, uh, tips for first timers as well as uh, yeah tips for old timers too. <laughs> Rule number two, it's, bathe. It's, it's, really, I, it's really funny not to get off on too much of a tangent, but I, I've had that conversation with creators before. Where it's like, 
that awkwardness of a, you know, and I, again, I'm, you know, I love fans. I, you know, I, I wouldn't be doing Dragon Con if I didn't adore fans because I, I love the quirkiness and the craziness and, you know, the enthusiasm. But, it, you know, occasionally you do get that person that walks up, you know, and they're kind of like, well, because I bought your run on Spider-Man, you must be kindred spirits, you know, and they start having start conversations and the you can just see the creator kind of like where are the restraining orders help me and you know it's, it's, it's like you know i noticed the way you draw mary jane she doesn't look like the regular mary jane does your wife look like mary jane i'm not married well would you like to marry a girl that looks like mary jane i've got to go get a sandwich that's okay i brought you a sandwich it's here in this bag <laughs> oh no get me out from behind this table i feel like the, every every table at the convention should have a trap door that's like so when that guy walks up with like you know those guys who carry the igloo coolers that are for their comic book collection as soon as you see one of those coming you should be able to use your ejector seat or your trap door and just it, it deposits you at the bar for an hour until they give up and go home so I'm just like, I've offended every possible fan that you could have on your show in four minutes so well, 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 the yeah. Well, the one thing about it is, I mean, the comic fans, even the comic celebrities, quote unquote, the people that work in comics, are usually the most accessible, though. It's which is you know oh, yeah. really fantastic yeah. for them. Yeah, because I mean, you can't just you, know, you can't just walk up to William Shatner and talk for seven hours. You know, it's like, right. You know, I'm, well, I mean, obviously, you're not going to get a word in edgewise, but right. you know, <laughs> you know, your average comic creator, you know, is usually pretty much a fan themselves. You know, it's always funny, like you, you, watch, you ever watch Entourage and there's like Bob Saget is on there, and and they come up and ask him questions about Full House, and he has no memory of them at all, and that's kind of I think what it's like. I think actors, for the most part, you know, when you come up and like, remember when you did that episode of Gunsmoke and you were carrying a cold, and the cold actually had a pearl handle. But did you realize the pearl handle wasn't really invented for four more years? <laughs> that was in 1958. I can't remember my own social security number. What do you want from me? <laughs> the comic creator remembers everything. Like you walk up to a comic creator and you're like, when you were drawing Hulk in issue 12, oh yeah, that's when I drew him with six toes because I was a big fan of Ernest Hemingway and he had six-toed cats. And I thought that was enough. I really just wanted to know if you'd sign my book. But thank you for the info. So, <laughs> It's a different breed altogether. We oh, well, that. yeah, true. And, you know, the best part is, is that uh, at least nine times out of ten, the uh, the autograph is, uh, is free. Yeah, no, that's the, that's, that's the nice part. You know, it's like you don't have to – you can pose for a picture with J. Scott Campbell and he won't charge you $50. Yeah. Which is very nice. And his bodyguard won't say, look like you're hugging him, but don't actually touch him. That's <laughs> <laughs> always the tough part. It's like, just back off a little bit. I remember a couple of years ago, and I, you, again, you're going to kick me off for talking too much, but yeah. I, I, I was at I was at the uh, the Walk of Fame, and uh, my wife at the time was working with Tippy Hedrick from the Birds, and she wanted me all weekend to meet Tippy Hedrick, which you know I wanted to meet Tippy Hedrick badly. So I finally I got a chance to go over there. Tippy Hedrick's table was at an L next to Eric Estrada's table, and Eric Estrada I had found out had been you know kind of flirty with my wife all weekend, and you know of course. I wasn't going to take Ponch down, but I was a little surly about it. So I went over, and he's wearing his white T-shirt and his black leather vest. And, you know, he's, he's just standing there with that big Eric Estrada smile, and he's kind of looking at all the ladies. And But you can tell it's like it's, it's the celebrity smile. It's like, okay, I'm smiling, I'm smiling, I'm smiling. Can I stop now? And this woman comes up, and she's, you can tell, she's, she, you know, she's probably a good-time girl, had a lot of fun, you know. She's, she's very vivacious, and she wants to have her picture made with Eric Estrada. And I'm, I'm talking to Tippi Hedren. I'm in the middle of a conversation. Tippi Hedren, Hollywood royalty, mother of Melanie Griffith, you know, star of the birds. And Eric Estrada just, like, waves his hand in front of me and goes, 
hey, pal, take a picture here. And I'm like, okay, I've been summoned by Ponch. So he hands me the camera, and he's, he's being a little like, you know, okay, so hold it up. Make sure you get my good side. And I start to hold the camera, and as I go to hold it, the woman gives him a kiss. And so he kind of, he's, he's a little startled. And um, he's like, okay, let's do that again. He's like, I wasn't expecting that. So I hold the camera up, and it dawned on me, now is my chance for revenge. So <laughs> the woman kisses him on the mouth, and she's like holding him as hard as she can. And I deliberately pretend I can't get the camera to work. And I'm, <laughs> there. I'm counting in my head like four, five. Six. And his eyes are the size of saucers. He's like, his eyebrows are talking to me in some kind of weird, like, Morse code. It's like, unleash me. Take the picture. <laughs> and about 12, 13 seconds. I'm like, oh, okay, there's the picture. I hand the camera back, and he just leans across the table and whispers in my ear, we'll talk later. <laughs> that was my celebrity revenge. So Nice. Hopefully he won't he won't come back after me because he's still in pretty good shape and I'm not. You know, but, uh, sometimes <laughs> I wouldn't have done it to Larry Wilcox. Larry Wilcox I would have had more respect for him. Not Estrada. I can't do it. So. <laughs> well, this seems like a good time to <laughs> to let everybody know that. Uh, well, it's still it's still early for the the panels to be revealed. Correct. Actually, no. I can, I can I can reveal a couple. Um, sure. Yeah, we will uh, we will be uh, we will be unveiling the new Spider-Man. Uh, a lot of people don't know they're they're actually replacing Spider-Man uh, with a new character. We'll be revealing that. Um, we will be debuting a new Captain America costume, which uh, was designed by the kids here in town at uh, PS340 in Alpharetta. Um, I'm kidding you. No, no, that's real. We actually, we actually, we have a, we have a series of, uh, we have a series of panels going on, kind of like uh, inside the actor's studio on, um, on cable, which I'm not allowed to watch because of my Amish roots. But uh, and it's basically inside the creator's studio, and um, we're, we've got a couple of, uh, well, I won't invite you yet because the program will go on, but we've got four of our bigger guests who will be taking part of that. Uh, we're doing another uh, Art of the Cure exhibit with. Um, Joe Peacock, who has the largest private collection of original artwork from Akira, as nice. well as a special screening um, with kind of a side-by-side art and commentary by Joe, which I don't think has been done yet anywhere. So that'll be fun. Um, we've got, uh, you know, actually, I should have had you talking to the programming director because I just let him run loose. I was like, here, just, you know, here's 12 topics, here's 12 people, mix them up. You know, like, basically, he took a hat, and in one hat he had names, and the other hat he had topics. So it'll be very interesting to see, like, Jim Steranko's take on being a woman creator in the industry. (laughs) Amanda Connor's take on how to rebuild a GTO engine. We've got some weird crossover stuff. Suddenly uh, I'm very, very nervous. (laughs) That's what you should be. The the nice thing is, I mean, most of our panels this year are very creator-centric. So, you know, I know for the longest time, you know, there was a lot of, also, that's kind of the part that we, we differ a little from Dragon Con, because I know a lot of Dragon Con panels have a, a, a much more, like, fan-driven base of kind of, you know, uh, interaction and stuff. But because we've been fortunate enough to get some really key names uh, in the industry the last few years, we've kind of tried to tailor our comics and pop our panels more towards in-depth, you know, getting to know the creators and getting to know the industry a little better. So... There's a lot of one-on-ones, you know, Chief Scott Campbell and Darwin Cook and Tony Wrightson. And, uh, we've got Steve Dillon coming. Our Hero Initiative is bringing Steve Dillon. So we've got a one-on-one panel with him as well. Um, 
So you know, a lot of a lot of fun stuff like that. I'm, I I was going to do a who could who's tougher, Hulk or Superman, but I just I couldn't do it because they, they did it like 17 years ago at a wizard <laughs> show, and I don't want to repeat it. <laughs> so it's, uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. This is that. Go ask me more questions. I'll answer them. I'm sorry. I'm terrible. Well, um, just to just to wrap up the 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 countdown segment, um, as far as DragonCon goes. So, where can people find out the latest and greatest news about the comics and pop art? <laughs> well, we, we have a Facebook page, which I uh, horribly have fallen behind on updating. So, don't let them check it until at least like Thursday. But. Um, and then, I'll, you know, you can get all the uh, latest guest info and the panels and everything will be up on uh, DragonCon.org, which is the official website for the DragonCon section. And, um, you know, typically we're adding guests all the way up to the last minute. So, you know, keep looking, keep checking it. And, yeah, uh, I saw a pretty good handful added just this weekend. So, mm-hmm. it's a, you know, this is like a really good, I remember like, I think it was like two years ago when we had like Terry Gilliam and like Malcolm McDowell. And I thought, wow, you know, I don't ever I'll do this. And then this year's like, Christopher Lloyd. Like, you know, how did that Ernest Borgnine? Like, what show gives you Ernest Borgnine? Seriously, like, where? How does that happen? So, <laughs> like, it's a, you know, it's a fantastic line. Howard Hessman. Like, if you can meet Johnny Fever and Number Six from Battlestar Galactica at the same show, that's like, that's worth your admission right there. Yeah. You know? Not Hopefully, to mention Stan Lee. Come on. Stan Lee. Yeah, indeed. He's uh, Stan's great. In fact, there's there's actually. Working on something now. I don't. I don't think it's been announced. I don't know if it's been finalized. But um, there'll be a there'll be a very 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 fun panel with Stan. Um, keep, keep checking the website for details on that. But it should be awesome. a lot of fun. You know, last year he did the uh, he did a special signing in Artist Alley with us with Greg Simpkins. He did a Stanley tribute piece, and you know it's it's one of those weird things where like you know always you'll talk to people you know who like. People like to have bravado, you know, so same people who are like, oh, I like the Chili Peppers before they sold out, you know, and they'll be like, oh, I, I don't see what people like Jack Kirby for, you know, but everybody loves Jack Kirby. I mean, you know, it's just, it's cool to say I don't because you want to be like trendy and hip. But, sure. you know, I was that way with Stan Lee. It's like, you know, my, my knowledge of Stan Lee was always, I invented Superman. You know, I was like, no, you didn't. Well, who did credit for that? And I was, you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't have a problem with him, but I wasn't like gaga over Stan Lee. He came to do that signing. It was a religious experience. That man is absolutely the sweetest, most professional, most giving human being I think I've ever met in my life. And he's got more energy at his age than, like, he's twice my age and he's got more energy than me. I was going to say that all of us combined. They were trying to get get him out of the room for a good 45 minutes. You know, they're like, oh, Stan's got to rest. And he was like, he literally, it was like he was running for office. But it was all sincere. Like he could, he'd stop. It was. He would. He would be walking by a table and be like, "This young man knows how to draw Thor," and he'd just stop and start talking. And he was genuinely interested. It wasn't like, you know, it was. It was just. It literally was was such a moving experience. And Greg Simpkins um, was sitting there signing the the, uh, the prints, and Stan was sitting next to him. And then they invited me to sit back with them, and which was quite an honor. Because otherwise, I didn't think I was going to meet Stan. And, and uh, there's a restraining order that goes back a couple of years. A long story. but So they let me go back there. And um, it's weird. It's not even a Stanley thing. It was a Sara Lee baked goods thing. But somehow, the restraining order got pissed a long story. But, so I'm sitting back there with Stan. And I'm listening to him talk to, to Greg. And like he is completely enamored with hearing the story of Greg's process. His, you know his creativity, everything. I mean, he's like, 
he is so immersed in hearing it, and he's so genuine. And when he got done with the signing, he stood up, and, he, and like everybody kind of like got quiet because he stood up, and he, he just waved his hand over Greg, and he goes, the single greatest living artist of our time. And everybody started cheering, and Stan left, and he, he, he walked around the entire room and, and talked to everybody. He was there for an hour, a few minutes or something. And um, Greg was still like, he seemed unmoved. He was just kind of signing things. I started to walk away, and I heard him go, could you sit down for a minute? And I said, yeah. And I sat down and he goes, just talk to me until I quit freaking out. That was Stan Lee. (laughs) (laughs) It was Stan Lee. And it was like, he was just so wonderful. And, you know, he would, people would come up and ask him questions. And he, like, you could tell, and you can, you can tell when somebody's phoning it in. But he, like, he genuinely wanted to answer every single question sincerely. He took the time and, he was so wonderful with people, and he stopped to look at someone's portfolio, and he stopped to look at someone's art on the wall, and you know, and he's everything is encouragement. Like he doesn't, he, I don't think the man knows how to insult. I think he's just, you know, he'd stop and go, "That is fantastic work. Keep it up." You know, and you, know, you just see people light up and everything. And so um, having him back this year is, like, it's wonderful because you know, it's like when, when Stan gives you the endorsement, you know, you, you're kind of on your way. You know, I, I kind of figure. I think within three years, I will be editor-in-chief of Marvel Comics. I think I'm at that point. I, I, I dropped some, <laughs> some ideas on him, and I think he liked them. You know, I could tell. It's kind of hard, because he wears those sunglasses. You don't really know what's going on back there, but I, I felt like he was receptive. So. <laughs> well, in that case, we got some pitches to talk oh, about. Oh, do like we that. ever. <laughs> Buddy, pal, just never I, forget your I friends at ESO. You know, okay. I, I think this is a perfect opportunity to tie you down to the geek seat right now. Oh, do it. I don't know. It's kind of hard to get me to open up when you ask me questions. So I, don't know how well I'll do it. I don't know about this man. You know? I hope I, I hope I don't shy out on you. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm, yeah that was that was the problem. Is we were we knew how shy you were, so it was. <laughs> okay, it, you ready? Mike, I, Mike, he's ready. Okay, strapped him in, boys. All right. Oh, it's not so tight. You're cutting off my circulation. That's the point. All right. Your first question, Mr. Tom. What was your favorite geek out moment? Oh, my favorite geek out moment. Would that be personally? Like, you know, I, 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 like, I know when I met Olivia Munn, I think I geeked out, but I think that was more like, that was uncontrollable spasms. I like Cliff Clavin. I was like, oh, did oh. And she, like, she called somebody to help me out, and it was exchange. But I think, like, from, from just being a fan, actually, can I give you two? Or sure. Like, is it only, that's fair? Because I don't want to open up any, like, precedents. And everybody's like, I got seven answers, and you got to let them, because I took two. But, um, you know, I could always edit whatever I don't want out. <laughs> okay, that's right. <laughs> Which, as we already determined, you will be editing out much of my uh, commentary. But the, first and foremost, and this is actually a fairly recent geek out moment for me, was, and it had nothing to do with, like, meeting somebody or obviously the Stan Lee thing was colossal. That was like otherworldly. But when I was watching the dark Knight, and Jim Gordon sneaks up behind the, the Joker and he says, we got you, you son of a bitch. You can edit that. That to me was like, that was pure comic fan gold. Like after watching like years of Jim Gordon being portrayed as a fat doofus in movies. And all of a sudden Gary Oldman is playing him and he outwits the Joker. It was brilliant. It was like a, a fantastic geek out moment. Um, and also, were you guys fans of the Justice League animated series? Like, oh, sure. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That final, that final episode, that fight between Darkseid and Superman. Oh, that's right? awesome. He, he hits him and he's like spinning through the air. 
and then Superman's on the other end already, and he gives him, like, the overhead chop down and knocks him to the ground. I have always wanted, like, when I was a kid, I would play that scene over and over. I would, you're talking about putting the brute necklace on the, uh, the, the G.I. Joe. That was the only thing that could stop him from having that play taken on him. He was like, the brute necklace was his way out. But I, that was like the ultimate superhero move. Like, anytime a superhero hits you and then it outruns your, your flying to another spot and hits you again, that's gold. That's like, you can, that's like putting a monkey in a movie. That's guaranteed sales right there. So. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> What you can, was you your can most use that disapp- quote anytime you want? You can, you can be like, "That's like putting a monkey in a movie. It's a guaranteed sale." Yeah, that's Stan Lee probably said that. That's probably where I got that from. <laughs> I wouldn't doubt it. What was your most disappointing geek out moment? Ah, uh, most disappointing geek out moment. Um, probably any number three movie in a Marvel series. I think is a. You know, it's like X-Men 3, Spider-Man 3, Blade 3. Like for some reason, they just don't, they're not good on their third movies. Um, their second movies are always better than their first, and their third movies are very disappointing. So I would have to say the most disappointing geek moment is a third movie from Marvel in the series. Okay. What geeks you out the most? You know, for me, personally, anything that has the metal men. Like, you put the metal men in anything, just like putting a monkey in a movie. Guaranteed. <laughs> it's going to be fun. And you know, it's, here's the worst part about it, and again, I'm going to offend half your audience, probably. But they, they have a stuttering person. Like, in, in, in 2011, there's still somebody making fun of somebody who stutters. Who does that? Like, the metal men, they get away with it because they're like goofy robots and it's okay. It's like, on cartoons, you know, like you can't kill real people, but you can blow robots up. So anytime they want to like have a scene where someone gets killed, it always turns out to be a robot. It's the same thing. It's like the metal men. They could do anything. Like, you know, like Wonder Woman can't walk around being like a, a, a bimbo sex kid, but Platinum can because she's a robot. It's okay. And Lead can be like big and muscular and stupid, but you know, you really can't do that because you're you're implying a stereotype. But the metal men get away with anything. I'm I'm surprised they're not a Hitler metal men. You know, he just like, <laughs> and, and they all think he's funny. They're like, oh, Adolf, you're crazy. Oh, Adolf Aluminum. That's what it would be. Adolf Aluminum, he's pliable, and he, he holds up long-term under heat. So, it's yeah, it's, <laughs> edit, please edit that. But it is. It's like they could get away with anything if you're the metal men. So that would probably be my favorite geek one. The minute I see the metal men, I'm going to be like, the only time I don't like it is, like, what was it like, uh, Superman, Batman thing, where it was like real serious, where the metal men were evil or something? I think it's like Pat Lee did the art or something. And I was like, that's not the metal man. They're not goofy and stupid and making fun of other people's shortcomings. That's, you know, that's, so, yeah, metal men for me. Well, there you go. So if, if so, what they really need then is a metal man monkey. <laughs> oh, please. You almost gave me my third art attack. You know? <laughs> just, the, just the thought of that, I flutter. Like, I literally, like, I, I got flush. I, I like... I kind of like batted my eyes for a minute. That's like, yeah, that's incredible. If there was a metal man monkey. I just heard you literally go. (gasps) Yeah, it was. It was weird. It was like, it was almost like I just got invited to the prom. What turns your geek off? Um, well, not going to the prom. (laughs) Oh, well, as it turned out at the last minute, my dad had to work. So what are you going to do? 
Luckily, we wear the same size socks. I just went by myself. But. Wah, 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 wah. Now, you know what really, what really for me, and again, this, you know, as the comics director for Dragon Con, I don't want to offend anyone, but anytime I'm in a comic shop and I hear somebody debating comics, like, that's not really what Bucky would have done. I think just like it's, it's supposed to be fun. Like, you know, I don't want to hear somebody argue about, you know, Bruce Banner wouldn't have said that. We could say whatever we wanted because somebody else was writing them. Like, I, think, I think every comic book should be written by a completely different person, and the personality should change every time. Like, you should never be able because, quite frankly, if, if that was real world, eventually we would figure out who Batman is because of his mannerisms and everything. So that should be like the key is they're always a different personality. So when I'm in a comic shop and I hear something, and people will come up and go like, so what do you think of this uh, retrofit they're doing at DC? Um, I guess it's okay. Seriously? No, you didn't say that, did you? You really didn't say that. Like, yeah, I did, because it's like, it's, you remember like in uh, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back when they're talking to Penn Affleck, he's like, fictional characters. That's me. Like, I'm always that guy. I'm always crushing these, these conversations, which is probably the whole point of your podcast. That's why I just insulted you guys terribly. Like, no more of those conversations. You can't talk about that. Well, we're wrapping up now. That's time to go. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, Tim Turner. Uh, <laughs> please address all letters, too. What fictional, uh, what fictional character would you like to meet the most? Um, hmm, Kate Beckinsale's not fictional, so that's out. Um, Technically, no. <laughs> wait, okay. Kate Beckinsale's twin sister who's promiscuous and has low self-esteem. Would that be one? <laughs> that is very fictional. That is very fictional. <laughs> That would be the one I'd want to meet most. But if I have to stay within the realm of comics, like purely looking at it from like a comic standpoint, if I was going to meet any fictional character, it would have to be Jack Knight, Starman. Like he was the coolest character ever. Like he's a little whiny without being like a bitch, and he was a little reluctant without being like a total jerk. And he's cool, and he had good taste, and he wore cool clothes. And you know, he's like the only superhero who ever you know took the time to go, you know what, I need a jacket because it's going to get cold up there. So he had, you know, common sense. I think it would either be him or possibly La of Opar just because, you know, a beautiful woman who lives with apes all day, I've got a chance. <laughs> I've got just a glimmer of hope. Like, I might possibly be the sexiest guy in Opar, you know, if I get on there. So I'm like, <laughs> there's millions of kids out there doing Opar. What is that like? a rap group yeah, oh i only group. wish we had millions of kids listening to this podcast <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially especially kids who are into rap exactly then, you know, you'd, you'd be all over the street be tagging <laughs> we'd have street cred bridges. dude come on that's it that's it exactly but yeah so it'd be one or one or the other you know or, or i guess i gave you three i see i can't that's my problem that's why i'm single i can't commit what I fictional character would you like to meet the least um Wow. Um, that might. Really? That bugs me. For one thing, he looks like a fat Jerry Lewis. Like, who, who, who invents a character wanting him to be endearing and makes him pot bellied, big footed, and buck There's no. Who was sitting around? I'm going to tell you who created that character. A short, fat, rock-toothed guy with big teeth. That's who invented that character and thought it would be really cool. It sounds like, like Larry the Cable Guy right there. <laughs> exactly. 
they're like, hey, Jerry, you want to create a character today? Well, I guess I could. What, what do you think I should come up with? Oh, it doesn't matter. So he just he sailed that one in. And then immediately he went to the girl that he had a crush on. He's like, look, they created a character. looks just like me. So I think that, you know, that may be... That wasn't a weird tangent. No, it wouldn't be Batmite, really. I, I, I don't have anything against Batmite. Because you know, I like sounds shallow and vain because I wouldn't like him because he's up to. I love like millions of people with overbikes calling, you know, boycotting Dragon Con and it'll be nasty and they'll have to fire me and I don't want that. So let's let's start over. We'll edit that out and let's go at least lead character or fictional character I'd like to meet least. Yes. Um who's it? I don't know. You know, I would I would probably say Holden Caulfield. Really? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I know I know it's you know, catcher in the eye, it's cool to have angst in him, but that kid would bug me. Like he's like the original thirty something. Like his life was not bad and he's constantly complaining and you know wasn't really doing a lot and all he wanted to do was catch kids when they ran to a cliff. <laughs> where is that a problem? Where where do you have to go that there's like a major epidemic of kids running a cliff? I don't know of any place. This kid obviously had no goals. But yeah, Holden Caulfield. Okay. What's your favorite geek or word or phrase? Uh, you know what? I I hate catchphrases. Except for kiss my grits, which I think is brilliant. But um <laughs> I don't like thank grits. Everybody had a catchphrase. Like, Dino Mine, you know, stifle. I thought there was everything. You had to have a catchphrase. I think they actually created sitcoms around catchphrases. So I kinda got tired of them. But um I, you know, I don't, I don't know that an actual favorite geek phrase or, um, but uh, I will tell you that anything that comes out of the mouth of Sarah Underwood on G4 becomes my favorite phrase. So <laughs> that girl is like the perfect human geek girl. Like she is, you know, I thought Olivia Munn was hot until they brought Sarah Underwood on. And then I was like, Olivia who? Like it was, although I do, I do want to have a show about a beautiful girl who was on TV and then gets transformed into a chimp, and I want to call it Olivia Monkey. And she would be the voice of it. I think that would be, it would be like, fuck it, Wonder Woman would be her favorite phrase. Uh-huh. So maybe that is my, that might be my favorite, that's actually my favorite geek phrase. You can use that one. Suck it, Wonder Woman by Olivia is the best phrase I've ever heard in geekdom. Cool. So, yeah, I like to just start saying that to people at random. Like, I get, I get pulled over for speeding, and I wasn't, and I'd be like, suck it, Wonder Woman. Which, when you say it to a large male cop in sunglasses at 2 a.m., is probably not smart, but it's fun for me. So, yeah, suck it, Wonder Woman, favorite geek phrase. What is your ideal geek occupation? Um, well, actually, you know, I'm kind of doing that. You know, I mean, I, you know, doing the, the Dragon Con comics and pop art thing is, like, perfect for me because I have no... Like, I have, you know, I can't draw, I can't write, I can't... Obviously, I can't create, you know, endearing characters with my Amish, uh, you know, character. But um, being able to, you know, kind of be a part of the community and, you know, introduce, you know, artists to, to fans and put together programming and, you know, feature exclusives and stuff like that is really kind of a, a dream gig when you're a fan because you know you can only buy so many comic books and so many action figures and so many statues and. You know, before your neighbors start to call the police, and you know this is a good opportunity for me to be a, a big fanboy and not look too much like a fanboy, and um, and I get to drink a lot. 
<laughs> I mean, that's, you know, how can you go wrong with that? So that, they encourage it. I actually, like, that's when I was, like, I get my director's packet, and it's got, like, you know, it's, got a, it's basically got, like, a, a Johnny Walker, you know, drink-mixing book in it. So I can't, I can't argue with that. It's a, it's a fantastic job. The other ultimate dream job, I think, would probably be, like, a company who ever happens to be playing the um, Celine character in Underworld, you know, I think that would be like the, just to be their personal assistant while they're wearing that costume. That would be like phenomenal. I don't even that may not even be just a geek job. I think that's just a, a, a dream side job. Well, that, that leads into our final question, but we're not there yet. <laughs> <laughs> what geek occupation would you not like to do? You know what I could not do. I'm so, I, I couldn't work in a comic shop. I'm, I'm too critical. Like I, you know, I would I would put myself out of business like in a week. I would be like, I would. I'd be like, no, seriously, you're buying Captain Carrot back issues? Like, come on, what are you? You know, people you would hate me. I would make everyone feel terrible. And because my mom did that to me my whole life, so this would be my opportunity. You know, my mom would be like, really, you're taking Evelyn to the prom? Okay, whatever you want to do, you don't have to live with it. I would be the same way. I'd be like, seriously, really, you're you're, you're buying Nick Fury comics? Like. There's hardcovers over there. Why are you buying back issues for that price? And my wife every night would be like, we're making no money. I'm like, I'm having the time of my life making fun of people. So that would be, yeah. No, I couldn't. It's just, you know, comic book, comic shop managers and employees and stuff, they really, they have a tough job. You know, because they, you know, they kind of have to sell it. And it's, it's a hard market now. I mean, how many new comics come out every week? You know, and like, of all those new comics that come out, how many are like really, 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 you know, pushworthy? You know, oh, you got to read this, you got to read that. And on some level, I think everyone expects you to know if those books are good or not. And how could you read all those? Like, you know, because you're working, so you can't just sit around and read because then you'd be like that comic shop guy. I wouldn't even ask him a question. He was reading the comic. So, yeah, that would be my my least favorite for me personally. I think you know, God bless. I'm glad there's people who do it, you know, but I, I couldn't do it. Well, I think it's mainly because I don't like people. I uh, think that's, yeah, you're not yeah. a people person at all. <laughs> no, you, guys, you guys are okay. I like you guys. You're good folks. But in general, yeah. Just, uh, what I is your just, ultimate yeah. geek fantasy, though? Um, yeah, we did cover that, didn't we? Yeah, kind <laughs> of, sort of. Kate Beckinsale, twin sister thing, kind of falls in there. But um, actually, if I was going to have, if I like, if I could live out any fantasy, like seriously, like. I would, I would have to, have to be able to fly, like just once. I would have to be able to just like jump up in the air, fly around, look around, you know, maybe carry a hot reporter with me, you know, and just you know soar over the city one day. That would be like, you know, like you know, how girls are always like, you know, looks aren't important. A really good personality and a sense of humor is. Trust me, it's not that important. But if you could fly, it wouldn't matter. You could look like that might and get chicks if you could fly. That's all it would take. You know, you'd be like, oh, you, you need to get to that shoe sale? Hop on. Shoot, you're there. Instant date. So <laughs> I would definitely want to fly. And X-ray vision, of course. What of guy course. doesn't want that? Well, that's a given. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, I think basically if I could fly holding Kate Beckinsale in the Celine costume, that would be it. That would be like the ultimate fantasy for me. Speaking of, speaking of tight costumes, I just have to ask, have you guys seen the pictures of Anne Hathaway's Catwoman? Oh yes, yes. What do you what do, what are your thoughts? Oh, love it. I didn't see anything I didn't like. Yeah, absolutely. No, looks I, gorgeous. Christopher Nolan, like to me, hands down, best modern filmmaker of our time. 
and what we've come with those two Batman movies has been brilliant. And I just think this is going to be, it's got to be like, it's got to break the three movie curse. It's got to be like the fantastic third movie. And I'm really hoping that this is, um, this is good stuff. And I want Anne Hathaway to wear that costume as well. All the time. <laughs> Not even just in the movie, but just all the time. <laughs> well, well, Tom, here, here's your homework. Say for next year's Dragon Con, we need to go ahead and get, start working on Anne Hathaway now. Uh, <laughs> you know, if I had a dollar for every time I said that, um, yeah, no, I, I, believe me, if I could, if I could have, if I, ask, go ahead, ask me if I could have any four guests at Dragon Con. Go ahead, ask. Who would they I'm be? You. Yes, who would they oh, be? Oh, it's funny you should ask. It would be, well, first, first and foremost, it would have to be Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman is like the, you know, and, and of course, as I said, Christopher Walken, I would want Christopher Walken there. Um, I would, I would love nothing more than to be able to sit across the table and stare into the face of Bamka Jansen, who almost came to Dragon Con a couple of years ago. And she's Jean, she's Jean Grey. How can you not, you know, it's like, and I, she was in like, a lot of people don't know this. She was in one of the very first comic book movies on TV. Do you remember Model by Day? I do, yes. She played Model by Day. Mm-hmm. So, Bamka Jansen. And my fourth guest at Dragon Con, if I could have anybody, would more than likely be Kate Beckinsale. Just, just because I want to hear her talk. Like she, can even, she can even phone it in as long as I can hear her talk. That would be fine. So. <laughs> That's a convention I would go to. Next yeah, year. We, we call it Fantasy Con. So. <laughs> Tom's Fantasy Con. Yeah, we just call it, it TomCon. Why not? You know, Amish, Amish Con. Amish Con. <laughs> Amish con. <laughs> Back with Dragon Con. Let's go to Amish Con. Yeah, and when the show's over, get plowed in the evening. That would be fantastic. So, yeah. <laughs> well, we're releasing you from the geek seat. Congratulations. You made it, sir. Well, thank you. Yay. And thank you so much for joining us tonight. It has really been entertaining. So, well, and well, I know you. that, and that, you know, and if people want more of this, just show up September 2nd through the 5th, go to the comic and pop track area, and there'll be more, more, more. Cool, Tom. Yes, and if, and if you are dressed up like Kate Beckinsale in Underworld, come to the Artist Alley and see me, and I'll have a special prize for you. <laughs> well, <laughs> there you just go. Buy a room, just buy a room key to my hotel room is a special gift. Then next year, <laughs> you win, so. Well, thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity. Cool. Let's Absolutely. Let's take a quick break now, and we'll be back in a minute. Batman and Robin, dynamic duo against crime and corruption, whose real identity is millionaire philanthropist Bruce Wayne and his young ward Dick Grayson are known only to Alfred, the faithful butler. Ever alert, they respond swiftly to a signal from the police. And moments later, from the secret Batcave deep beneath Wayne Manor, they roar out to protect life, limb, and property as Batman and Robin, Cape Crime Fighters. Batman and Robin, scourge of Gotham City's kooky criminals. The Joker, clown prince of crime. The Penguin, pudgy purveyor of perfidy. And the cool, cruel Mr. Freeze. Watch out, villains! Here come Batman and Robin! All right, now it's time for the ESO shoutouts. Hey, you guys! It's going to be a little abbreviated since we lost most of the people we had with us tonight. 
Um, first, let's see what Bobby has to say this week. Hi, I wanted to uh, give a shout out to the Illustrated section uh, website, which offers uh, downloadable PDF versions of comics. And my comic, uh, Landstar Sky Ranger One Shot, is now a part of the Illustrated section family. So um, it's the illustratedsection.com. Go check it out. Some really cool comics. Uh, Mike's Tiki Zombie Preview is also on there. Excellent. Yeah, so you know you can actually, if you think about it, if you if you buy Bobby's book and you get my preview, you're getting two books for the price of one. Absolutely, <laughs> that's awesome. Cool. All right, Mike, what do you got? Well, since we've talked about Batman long and hard, the one thing that uh, I didn't mention uh, during our discussion was my my favorite Batman artist, the guy who uh, who draws Batman. That when I think of Batman, this is whose version I think of, and that's Jim Aparo. And uh, I noticed that in previews this month, one of the things that DC's releasing is uh, one of Jim Aparo's last Batman stories, which is The Demon Laughs. It was originally in Legends of the Dark Knight, and uh, it's written by Chuck Dixon, art by Jim Aparo, and uh, wonderful inks by John Silbalero. Uh, Sorry, I butchered that name. But um, anyway... I don't know when DC is going to get uh, off their high knees and release a um, Jim Aparo, like, beautiful edition of some of his stories, but this is a good start. So uh, I definitely recommend those people check out. And it's a relatively inexpensive book because uh, it's not a full trade. So it's, uh, and it's, like I said, it's one of the master's best, uh, or last works, anyway, of, of The Dark Knight. Wow. Nice. Aparo, you know, you think of him, and, you know, he is the, the one of the prominent Batman artists of the eight, 70s and 80s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, Jim Aparo, I always think of him when I think of Batman, when I think of uh, Aquaman. Yep, I agree with that. All right, nice one, sir. My shout-out real quick is going to the fine folks here at Titan Comics. Wanted to thank them all for having us and hosting us this week. It was great for fun to you know be in a new store, and if you ever get a chance please feel free to go to Titan Comics in Smyrna, Georgia. And, you know... Awesome store. Exactly. Tell them, you know, ESO sent you. And say Zanzibar. They'll just look look at you crazy. But, you know, so what? You know, they'll know you're ESO listeners. A great store. And and it's the first time I'd ever been there, even though, you know, it seems like I've been almost every comic store around. But it was the first time I'd ever been there. And it's nice to know that no matter what Titans you go to, you still get the same great service. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Very cool. All right, let's close this thing up for tonight. I think we've been talking long enough. <laughs> might be, might be our biggest episode yet. Exactly. I'm I'm just getting warmed up, Doc. <laughs> so yet again, we draw to the close of another episode of the ESO podcast. <laughs> Mr. Warmup, thanks for being here tonight. As always, it's my pleasure. Bobby, sir, it's always nice to have you on the show. Absolutely, Robin. <laughs> we also wanted to thank William, Peter, Matt, uh, Bill Kilhorn, Bill Jordan, and Tom Trainer for helping us out this week. It was fun having all, everyone on the show with us. Yeah, it's amazing. We, the station is just worn out with the, with the rugs. We're going to have to replace all the carpets. <laughs> We're the Earth Station One podcast. You can subscribe to our show via iTunes, or you can visit our website at www.earthstationone.com for news, older podcasts, and our upcoming show schedule. 
We can also be found as Earth Station One on Facebook and Twitter. Please feel free to sign up for our new ESO group up on Facebook. Everyone's welcome, so please do feel free to sign up. We, I feel weird kind of sometimes about you know telling people you're part of the group now. So you know we're not going to sign you up, but we'd love you guys to voluntarily sign up. We'd appreciate it. Please call our ESO feedback line at 404-963-9057 or email us at esopodcast at gmail.com. Also, please rate our show and leave a review up on iTunes. We'd really appreciate it. Please help support the ESO podcast by donating via PayPal or purchasing very cool ESO merchandise from our Zazzle store. Of course, you can always order from our Amazon.com link off our website. Join us here next week when we talk about all things DragonCon with a plethora of guests from all the different tracks. That's going to be awesome. Oh, it's going to be incredible. It's going to be like, like, there will be no better podcast out there that's going to cover dragon con like we are going to cover it no we are going to become the official podcast of dragon con if it kills me (laughs) (laughs) well okay (laughs) if you're going to dragon con and want to join us uh, on the show next week please drop us a line at the eso podcast at gmail.com and we'll fit you in and you know schedule you we'd love to have you on the show Thanks for listening. That's our show for tonight. I'm your host for this week, Mike Faber, and we will see you here back next bat time and the same bat channel. See ya. You've been listening to Earth Station One, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci-fi and fantasy with Mike Faber, Dan Rin, Judy Faber, and Mike Gordon. All topics discussed on the show are the sole opinion of the host of the show and are meant to be used for entertainment value alone. You can download our podcast from iTunes, or you can follow our website at www.esopodcast.com, or you can friend us up on Facebook or Twitter. Comments or feedback are always welcome at esopodcast at gmail.com. The show is produced by Calico Productions, copyright 2011. The show's over. It's time to head home. See you next week here at Station 1.